blessing to worship and to enter the Word and have the Word enter us and engage us. Uh, we welcome once again Nate Garrett, come and, and bring us the Word. Appreciate Pastor Jeff and Pastor Ann sharing the pulpit with me this weekend. It's been a blessing. Um, where'd Jared Weber go? Is he in here? All right, get out here. All right, so I, I did, I did voluntold him something yesterday. Uh, we've been talking about marathons and stuff, and I said, hey, just wear your church clothes and <clears throat> just be a living example in the background the whole time I preach. So let's get this thing going. Is this good? No, faster. All right. How's that? You're not going to fly off the back, right? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> you, if you need the handles, we'll laugh. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, you can, you can use the handles, I guess. I, I probably shouldn't put it all the way to max. No, right? I'd, I'd appreciate it if you didn't. I won't. All right. I wish you could see. He's almost there. He's like a knob. You let me know if he tries to turn it down. <clears throat> What was I going to say? No, I'm just kidding. So he'll be up there for a bit. Try not to get distracted by, by Jared. Uh, I promise there's a point to this that I'll make right before the invitation. And I'm just kidding. So, so I went out yesterday. Jared was one of the people because he was with me. I asked him, kid, what do you think about running on a treadmill during the service asked. tomorrow? And, uh, I mean, we, we ate lunch together. We went on Paul's boat. We stopped at eight somewhere. When I saw what he ate, I said, you're going to need to work that off in the service tomorrow. So we got him. We got him in here. But it hit me while we were going on this, this boat. It's a, it's a speed boat. And it's a speed boat, right? That's, I don't know much about boats. Yeah. I thought we were going really fast. I'm sitting in the back with Bernard. And we asked how fast we're going. Embrace yourself. 31 miles an hour. And so it, it's... Bernard and I start talking about this, and I'm thinking, where my mind went was if we removed the top from a car, not like a convertible, but you also took the windshield out so you could feel the wind, and then you were blindfolded, not the driver, but you're blindfolded, and you're sitting in the back, and you take the muffler off, and you place a speed bump every five feet. It's the same experience. Blindfolded. And some of us can kind of look at the Christian life and we see people running this Christian life and it looks difficult, almost too difficult. Does it look difficult? It looks difficult. He brought running clothes. I was like, just wear those. Just wear what you got. It's good. We don't have time to change between worship and all that. And nobody wants to see you in running shorts leading worship. It's just the way it is. <clears throat> and it's this, it would be the same experience if I was blindfolded. I would hear the of the engine and I would feel the that we enjoy. I got off the boat. I thanked Paul and told him it was, it was a good experience. Had I been blindfolded, I'm, I don't know that I would have said that. Because 31 seems really awesome when you're, you good? All right. If you turn his microphone on, I don't know if he's about to pass out, but then, then it will be really distracted. Over here. So. It would be almost the same experience blindfolded, would it not? It wouldn't be that great. The, the thing about the Christian life is what your eyes are focused on make it all worth it. 
and that we're focused on Jesus, when I'm looking out at what we're seeing on a boat, the water in front of you and the vast expanse of clouds and that occasional bird that swoops down, it's, it makes it all worth it. And when our eyes are on Jesus, it's much more exhilarating than it is when they're off Jesus. Just ask Peter when you get to heaven how cool it was to walk on water while his eyes were on Jesus and how he felt when he took them off. It makes all the difference in the world as we're running this race. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, we've been looking at these all weekend. I'm going to look at this in the ESV and then I'm going to look at it again in the NIV because there's a little bit different connotation to it. It means the same thing, but it might give a different perspective on it. Let me see. Does it tell you how far you've ran so far and all that? No, no, don't stop. Oh, I stop. Can, I, I'm going to look. I'm going to look. No, it's blank, but it's probably like 35 miles. Yeah, probably. All right, so it is blank. I don't know what's, what's going on with that. We'll just have to guess. I feel like he's running slower now. Don't. No, he's not. Okay. All right, leave him alone. Okay. He's going as fast as he can go. Okay. Therefore, sorry, am I on the wrong page here? Oh, here we go. I was, I was going back a chapter. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we look at this in another translation, in the NIV, it says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We're not just taking hold of Christ, trying to. He has already taken hold of us, and that is what holds us steady in him. Jared, real estimate, what would you think you've ran so far? I don't know. Any, anybody out there who does treadmills at this speed, a mile, half a mile, huh? Half a kilometer. He was way more confident yesterday. I was like, maybe two miles and then I'll stop you or something like, oh, he's already stopped. Okay. No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. I, <laughs> so we've got some guesses here. Stay right there for a second. He was guessing 600 feet. All right. We heard that half a mile. Jim coach says half a mile, huh? Third of a mile. And you used to run marathons, right? You were sitting back there before. She's like, whoa, let's see what he looks like up close. Huh? That's my aunt doing me dirty. Less than a mile. Three-fourths of a mile. Some people were generous with your running. Okay. So I'm going to tell you how far he went exactly. Nowhere. Nowhere. I have walked further than he has just back and forth on the stage in the last few minutes than he 
went, and if he was there the entire sermon, is there a doctor in the house? Now, if he was there the entire sermon and could do it, he still would have gotten nowhere. It's like trying to run the Christian life blindfolded in a car going over speed bumps at 31 miles an hour with the muffler off and not really experiencing what God has really outlined. Yes, there are bumps. Yes, there's wind. Yes, there's things that are there, but with our eyes on him, it's completely different. I would submit to you that the majority of church-going followers of Jesus run the Christian life like this on a regular basis. We know we're saved through grace by faith alone. We know it. And we know God's got good works he prepared in advance for us to do. We get that. But somewhere along the line, this one who has taken hold of us that we're trying to take hold of as well, we stop reaching out for him and we start checking boxes. And I'm supposed to be in church. And I'm supposed to give. And I'm supposed, well... I would say a couple things, but I'm a Christ follower. And our heart's not where our hands should be. It's not. And it gets so easy to run into the trap of trying to seek some sort of justification through the things that we do. I'm going to preach just a little bit here and try not to step on too many toes. But when we're almost giddy to talk about how the world is falling apart because we can't get off of the news and the echo chambers that say the same things we want to say, shouldn't our heart be broken instead? To see that people are far from God, I don't mean that they're far from your political ideology. I mean that they're far from their creator God, who didn't make us to run on treadmills, who made us to run free, and to see what we're straining towards, and to see where we're headed, and to be actually holding on to the one who is holding on to us. And to realize that this Christian life and the blip that we are in all of eternity. Are you good now? I didn't want you to walk off the stage and clap. <laughs> I'm fine. If you've caught your breath, I think we're going we're gonna to let you go have a seat. All right. He's got some sweat. I see the sweat. <clears throat> Thank you, Jared. That where we are in the blip of eternity, our little part, that it's not just so God can be like, you finished, good. You finished, good. Well done, well done, well done, well done. Like my, it's like my dad at the grill. Every burger's, oh. Don't tell my dad I said that, but he, like, he is afraid of food poisoning. That man will overcook a chicken, overcook a hamburger. Jesus isn't just looking to say, well done, well done, well done. He wants you to get something out of this life and leave a legacy after this life. One of my least favorite, and I hope this isn't going to turn you off because this was your favorite Christian song. One of my, and I love Casting Crowns. I do. I, I, I've been so convinced. So one time I thought they were the contemporary 
Christian version of the Holy Spirit, because I was convicted every time I heard if we are the body or all the songs that they sang. I was like, ooh, ooh, that's getting me right there. But I don't want to leave a legacy like that song. That lost me. I was like, and I get what he's saying, only Jesus, that's what we want to leave. But that is why we need to leave a legacy. It's because our legacy that we're leaving is Jesus. I want my grandkids to say, I know there's a God because he transformed my grandfather's life. Because he transformed my father's life, my mother's life. Because I've seen it lived out. Because I want them to see Jesus. I want them to see Jesus in me. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. That's the, that's the issue there. And there are times in races where you don't get to do the whole thing. Usually it's an individual sport, but if you've seen a relay race, which is what the Christian life is most like, you know that at some point, if you don't hand off the baton, you guys don't win this. And it doesn't matter how good you did if you drop that baton in the process and mess up the next part of the race. The handoff's so important. Who are you handing that baton off to? Or are we in that treadmill action of running in place, doing self-righteousness because we think we have to, instead of allowing his righteousness to live through us? And newsflash, if you're a believer, he already sees you as righteous. We just don't really live the part yet. Like when I talked about King George VI yesterday. He was the king, but he didn't know how to be a king yet, and he had to learn that. You become who you are, and then you've got to start becoming who you are. And it's so easy to run and be like, that's the same thing, right? Yeah. It's not always conducive to my comfort to run out there. It can get hot in Florida. Rain, like when it rains where I live, that's the day. When it rains, when I'm down here in Florida, I'm like, well, this day's shot. They like wait 15 minutes. It's like, what is that? It's just a drum roll. It's just a heavenly drum roll. Like, this is weird, right? You could have a hurricane. You could have all this stuff. You don't know what you might run into. Just running out there. You come back sunburnt and everything. And boy, this church had coffee and donuts this morning. And that John Wayne figure I wanted from Avon back in the day that I got to bid on. I did bid on that, by the way. If you're not bidding on that because you think I really, really want it, I'm just driving up the bid. I don't mind going home with it, but get that thing up there. Come on. It's the Duke. Anyways, we already have the Scarlett O'Hara and the uh, Rhett Butler. For real, like we do. It was my grandma's. Anyways, and we come in here. It's very good. They're padded seats. That wasn't always a thing in church, right? If you fell asleep, you might even be tapped. But the, the offering thing that, the ushers used to have was on a long stick because it's dual purpose. It's like a Christian cattle prod, right? I mean, it hasn't always been great. And then you're like, way back in the day in church, you, you'd come in and you're like, oh, I get to worship with my spouse. Not today. The women are over here. The men are over here. Like, it hasn't always been this comfortable. 
And it's nice in here. And we've got sound panels, so you're not hearing this echo off the thing. We've got a room for verbal babies. I guess that's for the enhanced learning ones, the ones that can talk. No, I'm just kidding. I know what it's for. Anyways, I mean, like, it, it's very, very comfortable. And then you notice the treadmill on the stage. Wow. I don't have to get rained on anymore. I don't have to get sunburnt. And while I'm doing this Christian thing, people can even notice that I'm doing it. I could volunteer. And I could leave this place feeling really good about myself. I won't have to pass those weird people anymore that I do when I'm running. The one with that dog that always looks at me weird. The people who never seem to get off the sidewalk with their bike, it can go on the road. The people here believe the way I do. They look the way I do. And it's so much easier to run right here. And meanwhile, God is saying, who are you going to hand the baton to? How odd would it be to be running by these other Christians your whole life with their batons in their hand and you with your baton and you both get towards the end and you try to trade batons? They're done. They're finished. They don't need your baton. You don't need their baton. You've run your part of the race. The people we need to hand it off to might not be in this building. The people we hand it off to might be in this building and we haven't met them yet. Or we did meet them. We gave them a Christian hug. Or a, uh, we're not doing the holy kiss thing anymore. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> Send the vibe. Different culture, different culture. The hand of fellowship. We didn't take it to the next level with them. We got on a first name basis and we got comfortable back in the group of people that we have. As a youth pastor, I don't know how many times I've heard over the years, the youth group has too many clicks in it. And I'm not debating that, that the youth group has too many clicks in it. And they're like, you know what? If these kids would just get out of their comfort zone, these eight ninth grade girls, and they go talk to this, Ninth, ninth, ninth grade girl who doesn't seem to have a friend group yet. And I, I, part of me thinks, yeah, absolutely. And part of me has a ninth grade girl at my house. And I've talked to her before. She said, dad, what do you want me to do? I'm friendly to everybody. When I say, can I have a sleepover? And you cap it at five. But you want me to include 10. How does that work? I'm like, I don't know. What are you trying to get here? 10 people over? We took like 15 camping recently because that, that really convicted me. It really did. I wanted to be inclusive and everything. But here's the problem. I walk into the main worship center at our church. It's probably just my church. So don't, don't think it might apply to you, all right? I just need an event about my church for a second. And I notice when church ends... Everybody, everybody goes and finds their eight people-ish 
that they always say hi to and they chat for a little bit and then they all leave. I wonder where our youth learn to do that. I know where we learned to do it. When we had MySpace in the early 2000s and you could only pick eight people you liked. Remember that? No, I'm just kidding. It, it way predates that. It way predates that. I'm not saying you have to be on an intimate personal relationship with everybody in the church or with everybody that is in your whole business that you work at and so forth. But we've always got to be open to looking for that person who's on the outside or that person who's, he's, they're kind of on the inside, but they're not committed yet. Or they've been watching us and they think this is the Christian life. And if we're not careful, we'll just create a gym with more treadmills. Instead of facing windows, we'll decide that we need to make it more like a dance studio and we'll be facing mirrors. And we'll be watching how Christian we're becoming instead of how many people need to become followers of Jesus. And that's really, if I could impress anything upon you, God wants so much more for your life than that. So much more for my life than that because I don't think I've ever preached a sermon that God didn't preach to me first. I'm not like, you know what the Christian's problem is today. I'm usually a couple months off of God saying, you know what your problem is, Nate? <laughs> like, ooh, snap. Think anybody else is dealing with this? Could I just pass along the message? God wants so much for us. We're the body of Christ. The body of Christ. You know how a body works. Did you take anatomy and all that stuff, biology and so forth? What if your cells didn't divide anymore? How long would you last? How could you heal if something happened to you? No cell division. No rejuvenation or healing process in your body. If this is the body of Christ and we never have any cell division, and I don't mean church division, we're good at that. It's different. Not division and discord but saying, you know what, I need to replicate what God's done in me and somebody else. So that when you look at them, they should have some of the aspects and qualities of what's been replicated in me by another believer who's mentoring me. And that we keep moving this down the road because the truth is this, if everybody in Melbourne decided to go to church this morning, there wouldn't be enough seats in all the churches in Melbourne. And I didn't do the math. It's just how it is in every city in America. We don't have enough room for them. The body's so much bigger than that. And there's so many more people that need Jesus Christ. And not converts. I'm talking about disciples. People who need to know what this life is like and know that this is a trap over here. A self-righteous trap that any of us can fall into on a given basis. You can't tell who a mature Christian is by checking off boxes of things that Christians should be doing or abstaining from. None of those things made it into the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is attendance and tithing and service and worship 
Against such, there is no law. Now, it's love and joy and peace. These are things that hopefully are springing out of doing those things. You ever seen a joyless Christian give? I can tell you on the authority of Scripture, God doesn't want it. He doesn't want your gift if you can't give it cheerfully. He doesn't want you checking off a box and feeling like you're running the race. Ever seen somebody without love? Maybe you got greeted by somebody this morning when we did the little handshake part. And they, they're just doing what they were told. And you're like, hmm, I would never go to coffee with him. I did not get greeted by anybody like that. I was like getting hugs and stuff from people I didn't even know. You're a hugger, right? You know, like, I was like, this is cool. This is a family, right? But you know, when somebody doesn't have self-control as a Christian, when they have no patience, when faithfulness is absent from their life and you can't count on them, when you know they love you, but they don't know how to deliver that message, with any kindness or gentleness. Against such there is no law. And when we walk in God's spirit, like Galatians teaches us, we don't have to gratify the desires of the flesh. The treadmill says, here's the desires of the flesh. We'll put them on this screen. And over here, here's the good things you have to do to make sure you're not doing those things. All right, so you got to do these things. Don't do these things. And then that's what it is. That's the Christian treadmill. The Christian race is letting the Holy Spirit do these things in you. And the other things are naturally going to be shedded to the side. To love God with everything and love other people. And then the way we treat other people and the way we value God just lines up. And if you knew nothing about God's standards, but you allowed the Holy Spirit to do the fruit of the Spirit in you, and you destined with everything to let God help you love Him with everything and other people, you'd get probably 95% of what you're supposed to be doing and not doing right. Now, we would never leave you like that as a Christian. That's not good discipleship. But most of it you'd figure out. If you're like, I don't know if stealing's right or not. Well, I don't know. Would that be a loving thing to do for somebody else? Probably not. They probably want to keep their stuff. You'd figure most of it out through process of elimination. Right? Kindness has got to be kindness, kindness, kindness. I wanted to kill him. Kindness. Oh, there's self-control too. Okay, I won't kill him. You know, like, I mean, you could figure this out with the fruit of the Spirit and with the great commandment. You could figure out most of it. But we tend to just try the box scenario. We just want to make sure that we do the bare minimum necessary to be approved workmen who are not ashamed in our minds. And we want to cross all our F's and dot all our J's. That's how I think of it anyway. And make sure that somehow God's okay with us. Well, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. and There's nothing you could do to make him love you less. He's, he's okay with you if that sin has been removed and Christ is there. He establishes a relationship with you. We're not trying to earn his love. And we can't lose his love. But he wants us to run in such a way that when we get to that handoff lane, 
Somebody is ready for that baton. We've trained together and they'll carry it on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Because 11 guys took it seriously when Jesus said, you're going to go tell everybody. We are sitting here this weekend in Melbourne, Florida. All the way around the world from where it began. Because, because their eyes were on Jesus, it wasn't just a bumpy ride. It was a ride for most of them that led to martyrdom. To their own death. And it was worth it because of what they were looking at. It did hit me yesterday, I thought, if Bernard wasn't in the back with me and I were to just tumble out, Jared and Paul would have no idea. They're looking the other way. They're enjoying it. I can't talk over that. I thought about that, right? The disciples knew that that could happen and it might cost them their lives, but the The view of Jesus and him crucified was precious enough for them to continue on in that pursuit, picking up as many people as wanted in. Because Jesus met them where they were. The first few disciples who were fishermen, he met them right where they were. He said, you're passionate about these things. I love your passion. And so the the example he used was, let's go fish for people. Let me take what you're already good at and redirect it in an eternal direction. And so he took these guys and took them that way. And I would say if Jesus had called you specifically as a disciple, he'd probably walk into your shop or place of business or whatever that was, and he would somehow make the analogy for you that you need to come and follow him. You could be working at Krispy Kreme. And he'd say, there's a, there's a hole in the heart of every single person that needs covered by my love so they can get out of a, a heart of stone and make it a hot now heart of flesh, Right? Let's get a donut hole and fill that. You know, I mean, like, I mean, God would use whatever. He would just tell you that. And this is his goal is that he can run alongside you because he's already taken hold of you. You're running hand in hand. It's like the yoke analogy that Jesus used to take my yoke upon you. Who's the other oxen in that yoke there? Jesus is saying, let's wear this and let's go. Give me your burden. The burden I'm going to give you is easy and light. Why is it easy and light? Because Jesus is carrying most of it. He knows it's a hard road. But it's worth it if we're facing the right direction. And if we're looking at the other people on our route to getting in shape and to growing into him as not obstacles in our race, but people to recruit and put a number on their back. And say, all right, number 251, let's do this. Let me show you the route. Let me show you how to get there. And let me show you what to watch out for. Would you bow your heads with me today? I don't know where, where you are in your faith specifically. 
There may be people here who've never stepped into a relationship with Christ. Maybe you've looked at it as this treadmill thing that you just don't think you can handle. I don't want to get into the routine of having to do all these things and add this stuff to my plate. God is not calling you to a routine. He's calling you to life change. He will make the difference in you. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart, meaning not the things you want, but the actual desires themselves. He changes our desires to where he is so much more worth chasing than we ever thought he would be and pursuing. Now, maybe you're here. I want to talk to people who may not have made that decision yet first. Maybe you're here. Maybe you looked up at me past couple days to say, you know, I've, I've not made that decision for Jesus Christ and we're in the last session here and you've been thinking about it, maybe even kicking yourself that you didn't make that decision yet. I want to just ask if God is speaking to your heart right now and he's saying, you know, I want you to turn from your sins and step into this life with me. Or maybe this is the first time you've been in winter conference this week and you're thinking that that's it. I've, I've, I've not truly ever surrendered my life to Jesus and turn from my sins. I, I'm not in that relationship. I'm just kind of, I've been feeling this church thing out. Don't know what I think of all these people. Some of them I, I would, wouldn't mind being like, and other ones I think, yeah, he's no different than me. Let's look past the humans who are trying to allow God to do something in their life and haven't arrived. Paul hadn't even arrived. Let's look past to the one who put his life on the cross for you and rose from the dead to show you he had power over death and could bring you life, abundant here and everlasting forever. If that's you this morning, and you'd say, that's me, I've not, I've not made that decision. I simply want you and nobody else looking around, but those of you that would say that to me, I'm down on the floor now where I can see you under the lights and everything. If you just make eye contact with me and don't look back down, I wanna just have a conversation, a quiet conversation with you. See you back there. Anybody in this section here? Way back there, I see you, buddy. Way in the back. It's a few people. Just about somebody in every section who would say that I haven't, I haven't made that decision. I haven't done that yet. This next part I'm going to ask you to, to potentially do, I don't do it to scare you. I really don't. I think so many people make such quiet decisions so many times that, and then they look back and they think, did I really mean that? And they kind of self-torture themselves with, in their mind of, I'm not sure if I did. Why well, I just messed up again. Did, am I really a Christian and all this stuff? So I try to make it really clear. If you want to follow Jesus, it shouldn't matter who knows it. It shouldn't matter um, about our fear in the moment. If I'm going to say I'm going to give Jesus 100% of my life, but I'm definitely not going to stand up. That's hard to say 100%. You don't have to stand up to come to Jesus. That's not something I'm adding to Scripture. But I think it's going to give you great confidence and assurance in the coming years that you meant it because it's a scary thing to do. And so if you want to, if you're one of those people who looked at me or you didn't look at me and you're thinking, ah, oh, I should have, then when I count to three in just a moment, there's nothing in the Bible about counting to three. This is just a moment where you know, okay, now. You can brace yourself and you can get ready. 
And I count to three, I'm just going to ask that you stand to your feet. If you want to turn your life over to Jesus and turn from your sins and be made new and get on this thing that is not easy, but it's worth it to get in the race and out of the stands and stand to your feet if that's you. One, two, three, stand to your feet if that's you, even if you're the only one. Would there be somebody who would say, that's me? Now, just because I close this time doesn't mean that your time is closed. Today's the day of salvation, Scripture says. As long as you have breath, oh my goodness. Okay, so there is somebody standing. Is there somebody else who would say, you know what? There's somebody actually standing right now, and I didn't feel like I could do that. But I want in. I want, I want to have what this young lady wants to have. There's a lady in the back. Awesome. You made eye contact with me. I saw you through all these lights in my face and everything, which is really cool. I normally don't keep asking. If you've ever heard me, you know that's true, but I, I feel like there's a few people here that maybe God's still dealing with. Is, I'll, I'm just going to count backwards from three this time. Is there anybody? Three, two, and then we'll move on. One. Okay, awesome. What, what is your name right here in the front? Melissa. Awesome. Do you come here on a regular basis? Or? Awesome. I just met you for the first time today, I think. All right, what's your name back here? Say that again, I'm sorry. Gano? Is that, I'm saying it right? Gano? I've never heard that name before. That's why. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Well, this is, this is a cool moment. Because God wants to do something amazing in you. He's got plans for you, huge plans that he's had since way before you were born. And everything along the track that you've been on so far has led you to this fork in the road where God says, this is the way. This is where I'm taking you. And so to block out distractions right now, not to hide from anybody because you're obviously standing, which is huge and brave and awesome. I'm going to ask that you just close your eyes right where you are. And you can use my words and borrow them, or you can use your own words. It's not about the words you say. It's about the attitude of your heart. If you turn your sins over to God and you say, I want to surrender to you, he hears you and he makes you new. If you want to borrow my words, I ask that you think about them before you say them. Make them your own and put your hand in his. You can say something to him like this. God, Today, I won in the race. I know that to do that, you need to take all of my sin. So I ask your forgiveness. Help me turn from those sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for raising from the dead to beat death. I'm yours for the rest of my life and forevermore. Thank you for saving me. And thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And just for a second there, 
those of you who know these two young ladies, I know we had our eyes closed a second ago, so I'm kind of saying you can open your eyes. But if you know these two ladies, part of that baton thing isn't just to be excited that now they know Jesus. We're good, right? No. Somebody's got to come alongside them and help them to grow in that faith. Somebody did that with you. And somebody needs to do that with them. All right? So I know she'll accept a hug afterwards if you want to hug her. Um, I don't know if you like hugs, don't like hugs. Just stick out your hand if you don't. But come around and give them a hand of fellowship and everything afterwards. You, you can both be seated. I think that's amazing that God is calling out those to himself. For believers here, rather than pull you up and have some sort of invitation time, I've thought about this, I've prayed about this, and I've, I've, I've waffled on it back and forth during this message. What do you want me to do, God? I don't feel like God's saying, come up here. I feel like he's saying, go out there. And you can solidify in your heart to God. And now, that might mean for you, hey, when the service ends, I'm coming up here and I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to go to somebody that, that I've got something between um, that I should be discipling or somebody that I know is a new Christian that I should be doing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up to Pastor Ann or Pastor Jeff and say, hey, I've been a, a part of this church for way too long not to be in a discipleship position to help somebody. I need to lead one of the groups or Sunday school classes or something. I did, I did an illustration a few years ago at youth camp where I had an inflatable job of the hut, and I talked about job of the hut Christians and how sometimes we're like, I'm like the whole life, we're just taking it in. We complain about what we're fed. Well, I didn't really get fed in that church. And, you know, we just get bigger and bigger spiritually, and we, we, we never run it off. We never go use it. All the energy you obtain from food is for you to use that energy. If you don't believe me, watch the survivalist shows. When they can't find food, they're all delirious and they're seeing things and the leopards are coming. And ah, Right? You need food. I get that. But so does everybody else. And so if that's you, my, my, my marching, the marching orders from Scripture are to get it out there. Run the race. Be aware of those around you that need to be in the race and call them to it and run alongside them. Prepare for that lane where you will one day hand that off to the next generation to continue getting the gospel to the ends of the earth so that one day we'll see Jesus return. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for these lovely souls that you died to save that came into your family today that joined at the beginning of a race that Lord they might not even know how to run yet or maybe they're kind of familiar with some of it but it kind of looks like the treadmill they've been watching some of us Lord I pray that people come alongside them who show them the vitality the amazing experience that running the race actually is despite the things that we go through despite the storms that we sail through to reach one. Lord, help us to know you and not just know about you. And Lord, there's so many people out there who know about you, 
And there's some that don't know anything about you, but God, we want to bring them to the point where they literally know who you are and they have a relationship with you. So send us out to do that. Marching orders. And sign-up sheets for the marathon. That we'll see more and more people surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much.